0: People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello, and welcome, Poetry People, to episode. Three of Series Two of the People's Poetry Podcast. My name is Jimmy Bowman. It is my absolute pleasure to have you here with me. This is the podcast that brings poetry to you, the people, as I travel across the u k talking to established and brand-new poets alike in my mission to find out why we still have such a love affair with poetry as an aspiring poet myself. I wanted to know why something as archaic as poetry is still so loved and so relevant to many today. This show's featured poet is the incredibly talented and wonderful Imogen Sterling. I managed to catch her while she was down here in London at King's Cross and we spoke about her solo show hypocrisy, touring as a solo artist, western privilege, retaining perspective, the state of the UK media, racism in modern society and Hipsters amongst all other things. Jam packed. Brilliant chat. Have a listen. I am joined with poet, theatre maker, musician. Um really excited to be joined by MG Sterling. Thank you so much for chatting to us.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Really glad to be here.
0: Sunny King's Cross, never
1: beautiful,
0: yes. So your roots originally are in musical theatre, I believe. Yes. So how what made you sort of come over to the poetry side of things?
1: So yeah, I did a lot of kind of musical theatre on an amateur level really uh, for a long time and I really was convinced that was the route I wanted to take. Uh, I went to uni to study theatre studies and then I actually moved more into just sort of straight music um, performing as one half of a music duo for a number of years but with both musical theatre and the music work I just I find them very frustrating that I was never performing my own work uh, you know either it was the musical that somebody else had written which is you know all in good uh, to an extent and then with the music work, it eventually descended into a lot of cover material because that's what, you know, commercial gigs want you need to play. And it was, uh, yeah, it was just frustrating. Uh, you know, I'd studied theatre, I'd studied English. Uh, I really enjoy writing and I wasn't getting the chance to do so. Yeah. So I'm trying to work music back into poetry now uh, to kind of, because I miss it a lot, but it just wasn't fulfilling enough, I think. As a... You wanted your
0: voice heard. Yes, exactly. How, uh, how long have you been writing poetry? Because, I, I mean, I've, I don't know how I stumbled across your work, but I, I bought both the books. The first book called Diversity. Uh,
1: yeah, Diversity, Your Name is Poet. That was really just, a, I was kind of touring a lot, and I needed some merch, so I made a pamphlet. <laughs> it served its purpose for a little while.
0: I love your honesty. I thought it was really good, though. I, like I was just saying to you before, I've never been to Glasgow, but your poem about Glasgow, I loved
1: yeah, people really like it. I mean it's I love the city a lot and I love to write about it. So, um yeah, I think it, it, it appeals to people. How long have you been writing poetry then? To be honest, not that long. Um I was just very <laughs> I have a strange sort of tunnel vision work ethic, uh, and so decided to write Hypoxy as a full show kind of immediately. But I think it was it was less than two years ago that I started started writing. It's impressive.
0: I read um You're a Kate Tempest fan as well
1: yes i'm a big kate tempest fan what is
0: it about kate's work that attracted you to it
1: i mean so much i i i think because my roots are in music i love the way that she's always blended music and and poetry and theater um either you know really explicitly through her kind of more hip-hop work but even there's just such a melodic quality to her to her speaking i find it really beautiful to listen to um and i just love the way that she she merges the sort of mundane and immense, this sort of mixture of extraordinary and unextraordinary all the time, uh, kind of coupling, you know, mythology with the figures within a city. I just find it really interesting, her, her scope of imagination and her wording is just beautiful. Yeah.
0: she's got a new new uh, album or something. I've not listened to it yet. You it's heard?
1: really good. Yeah. yeah.
0: I have to put that on the list. Um so we need to talk about hip- hypocrisy then. Um so it was your fringe debut and then you toured the UK and we were just saying, you know, it must have been quite a lonely thing, but I mean, how, how was that, touring it?
1: I mean, it was great and it, it's really, it is lonely, definitely. It's lonely, the writing process is lonely, the sort of creation process is lonely. Is it just
0: you on the stage? Well, this is,
1: a, I, I've always worked with musicians and to begin with I had uh, one set musician called Ross who, he composed the score, we worked together to craft the show, um... And so he performed with me a lot, but unfortunately he moved to Canada earlier on in the year. So I've always worked with session artists since then. So while they're not, you know, making sort of huge practical or creative kind of decisions, their presence is really reassuring just to have around you and to play off them on stage as well is good
0: fun. Are there different musicians each time then in the session ones? so, So that could be quite lonely as
1: well, I guess. It it is, but I mean, it keeps it kind of exciting because I don't. There's not a set score that they have to perform. I give them a sort of basic understanding of the show and then let them do their own thing, which makes it a bit more. It's less formulaic, yeah. and it means every show is different. And you, I mean, you're getting to know new people, yeah. which is which is cool. Yeah.
0: Um, so for anyone that is listening that hasn't seen or read Hypocrisy, could you sort of give us this is a brief overview of, of what it encompasses?
1: Sure. So. Format-wise, it's a 50-minute sort of long-form narrative poetry show um, but also blending kind of theatre and music. Um, it interrogates, I suppose, Western privilege in a in a world becoming increasingly uh, kind of racist really and insular. Um, it's very personal story. Uh, I travelled for a long time as a musician. I performed abroad a lot um, and on coming back to Scotland and sort of reflecting on the experiences I had, I realised just how how um, privileged I had been as a sort of Western white woman, how easy it, it made travelling and uh, earning a living while I was away and that that is a, a luxury that is not afforded to many people at all. Mm. Um, and I just think that privilege, that form of privilege isn't a conversation that many people are having yeah. and so I just, I kind of wanted to initiate a discussion I suppose through yeah. it. Yeah. it's
0: very commendable the, the word privilege I was going to ask you about because I I think privilege or what people deem as being privileged has, has changed quite a lot um, especially in the modern world I mean, how would you define sort of privilege now I suppose
1: yeah I think privilege is, is made to be a very scary word and one that lots of people because it's sort of hyped up so much it allows a lot of people to excuse themselves from it I mean of course there are so many ways in which people you know have have various problems and issues in their own life. Just but privilege I guess it's just when you when you're born in, in Western society, um you you're just you're sort of given this you're stamped with a with a an innate sort of safety net really that just allows um life to be easier to move through in many capacities. So it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing that you're given this privilege. It's not a flaw. I think it's just something to be aware of in yeah. your in your the way that you treat other people
0: well, it's like a responsibility i suppose isn't yeah, it yeah. exactly use that. it wisely
1: yes exactly that
0: Um then you talk at the end of hypocrisy you got the the piece uh it's, it's okay it's called isn't it mm-hmm. yeah um and you talk about sort of retaining perspective mm-hmm. what does that look like in the modern world how like people listening to this going yeah i, I I, you know, I agree with that. I feel that's right. How, what should they be doing? How should they? How do they retain that perspective? Do you feel? Well,
1: a a question, <laughs> it's a big question. It's a big question. I know. Well, well, I guess. I mean, the show it becomes a bit sort of uh, miserable. I guess. I mean, I guess I was very aware of of when I was writing it that it would be really easy to alienate people. You know, people don't like to be told that they're wrong. Quite frankly, no nobody enjoys that. Um, and the show, it goes, it sort of explores a lot of the, the things that we may, you know, the way that our, our, the media is, is slanted, that things are often sort of uh, put across in a way that appeals to us, that makes us become a little bit more kind of close-minded, a little bit more focused on our, ourselves and our immediate surroundings. And so mm-hmm. through retaining perspective, I just, I suppose the show is kind of encouraging people to widen perspective, to sort of look without your own immediate surroundings and just just question i suppose yeah. question things um it doesn't have to be some huge task just yeah. go through life with with awareness and and not taking things at face value i suppose
0: it's, it's a good message i think i think a lot of people do sort of just bulldoze through life with with blinkers on you, you talk about the media and i've had uh poets on the podcast and we've, we spoke about the the uk press and the media before what 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 do you think is so problematic with our our press because we seem to have as sort of like you know around the world press goes we've got one of the worst presses for sort of sugarcoating things and trying to channel a set narrative what what do you think is so problematic about the british press
1: i mean they're just they're just seemingly trying to funnel a narrative that isn't isn't correct and and i mean i guess you know you could go on for for hours discussing the sort of motives behind it but it's just it's so it's just so pervasive and i think actually the the sort of growth of social media is such a wonderful thing really because it is providing all these new narratives new little like paths that you can take to to offer alternative truths and alternative angles which is which is wonderful i feel like the the power of the media isn't quite what it Maybe used to be mm-hmm. um, I it I, I became of increasing uh, relevance to me during the the Scottish independence um, period, whichever side you were on um, the way that 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 situation was documented within our own country was it was ludicrous I mean it was just we, it was such a one sided yeah. narrative, and I think that's when social media really came into its own in in you know broadening the perspective there but it's just it's very it's very close-minded mm-hmm.
0: and it's very um yeah. dangerous really one thing that sort of i suppose it links to the answer you gave a minute ago but one sort of thing that jumped out at me when i read hypocrisy was this idea i mean the opening piece called white isn't it and the idea that on your travels the color of your skin you know you you started seeing patterns and you were sort of it was advantageous to you. and i suppose it's because in my world i feel like i've always you know, fought fought against racism and mm. I, I think oh no it's got better I haven't seen much of it but then I've probably not left my bubble which sort of links to what you were saying but was that something that really sort of shocked you that there's still that amount of racism around the world?
1: Yeah totally and I mean I didn't even really travel that far away yeah. Um, and yeah there were there were numerous little like situations or experiences whatever that happened while I was away that I did very much do my best to turn a blind eye to, because it was too hard to pay attention to them and what the the repercussions of them were um it was really only you know i, I was I was the focus of my own attention the whole time that I was traveling um, You pick up on things that are going on around you. I kept a journal the whole time, and I would note down these little experiences, but really not interrogate them because it was it was too much to think about yeah. but then i guess coming back to to glasgow which is a city in which racism really is rife as much as we have our whole communal kind of people make glasgow motto um, i started working at the the night shelter in glasgow uh, which is a, a, a shelter for male asylum seekers arriving to the city and you know i spent all this time glorifying my travels and the way i crossed borders and went from place to place and then i was listening to the stories of these these men who you know they're fleeing trauma and even that is not enough to give them easy passage into a safe space and it makes you realise just the fortune that you have.
0: How, how, do, you think, how do you think, I mean take Giles as an example then, in 20, 30 years do you think it is a generational thing and the racism will decrease as sort of new generations are educated or do you think there is something inherently there that you just got to try and stamp out, I don't know, is, ed- is education the answer or is it always going to be there?
1: I mean, yeah, education is certainly an answer. But I mean the the, the, the number of accounts of, of bullying, for example, against kids, you know, refugee kids who are coming into Scottish schools, it's atrocious and that's you know, it's a message that evidently's been passed on from parent to child. It's not something that the ch- the children are born with. So yeah. hopefully, yeah, just increased education, new narratives Wider and fairer media coverage will do something to to stamp out the the really abhorrent racism that is rife.
0: So it's fair to say hypocrisy covers quite a quite a range of yes. things. <laughs> I got deep yeah. quick. <laughs> um, so you did Edinburgh Fringe with it, sold out, and you did Prague Fringe. I saw. Yeah. How was that?
1: Prague Fringe was wonderful. I um, I really loved it. That was just a couple of weeks ago or something now. Um, Ed, like Edinburgh is great, and I think I was very lucky with how the show went. But it really can go either way, you know. The best show can be met with just a terrible response because the festival is so huge, and it's a terrible way for people to lose a lot of money. You know, a lot of artists who have put so much into crafting a show to then to then lose so much just based on luck, really. So when it goes well, it's wonderful, and of course, there's such vibrancy and hype to the whole festival it's it's a real kind of joy to be part of but I think that's why I love Prague so much because it's a much smaller really curated festival Mm. I think there's only about 50 shows on um, that are selected by the sort of team the the fringe team Um, there's only six or so venues maybe more um, and the shows are just really well cared for and they're well attended and you feel like the the production staff they really care about the shows that they have selected to yeah. put on there and it's a real community I think and I, yeah I love being part of it.
0: An amazing achievement for you if you're considering two years you've been writing. Yeah I know. <laughs> the book as well first run of that sold out I was lucky enough to grab one of those yeah. that, that must be great so you got a second run coming for anyone yes. that?
1: Yes it luckily it just got uh reprinted before I came down here actually so I'm able to, to share it about Um but yeah it's been so cool it's a lovely type of book.
0: You've done BBC Slam?
1: Actually, no, I've never been part of that. No, it? I did a, I, I did a, a sort of, what what do they call it? I think called BBC Words First. It's like right. a talent development scheme, mm-hmm. which was really, it was very recent, um, same time as, as Prague, which was a little bit fraught. Um, but yeah, that was a really cool thing. There's a big sort of, it's very X-Factor in its way, a search for the newest sort of emerging spoken word star yeah. um, <laughs> within the UK. So yeah, I was part of that just a couple of weeks ago, which was cool. Yeah
0: is it was that similar to slam as in there were the rounds or
1: yeah i mean there was an in, an initial sort of round i guess where you had to submit a little video recording of you and your your poem of choice mm. um and then yeah from that a few people were selected in i think six different cities in the uk about like 10 to 12 people within each of the cities and then we underwent went some workshops and Sort of did a showcase at the end, and then from that, people will be selected to go into an next round, which I think is the final round. So I'm just waiting to hear about that. But it was very exciting.
0: Good good luck. Yeah, a lot of people talk about poetry slam. I've had some poets, you know, that I've interviewed, and they said, oh, it's it's essential to getting your work out there. You've got to get into slams. I've had others say, oh, I find it a bit too cutthroat. What do you think about the whole slam thing?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in I'm into minds really. Um it's the easiest way to get into poetry, I think, either through sort of open mic circuits or or slams. Um but I think it gives you a very especially when you're entering through that route it gives you a very false impression of what poetry is, you know. It's uh it's very it's very false. Um you have to write poetry of a certain length, normally depending on the slam and and its rules. Uh there's a whole sort of culture of creating i think it's a funny poem a political poem and a sad poem in which to sort of gain the audience's favor there's a certain order to to perform them in and it's just it's a really stale environment personally i find that
0: almost goes against what poetry is i suppose isn't it poetry is supposed to be sort of i don't know raw from the from the heart yeah
1: i i think so and it's really it's really demotivating as well when you're, you're you know you're starting this this new thing and poetry is a relatively new kind of or performance poetry a, a relatively new kind of art form and to so quickly have your work you know judged and and you eliminated from around i think it's really not ideal
0: i'm too much of a coward to enter my stuff into though anyway
1: it's horrible it's, it can be pretty brutal depending on the the event i think
0: talk about the, your writing process uh quickly it's just something i ask everyone are you Well, you must be quite a fast writer. Two years, and you've got a show, and you've toured it. (laughs) But I mean, what is the writing process like for you? Are you just very meticulous in going back and editing, or do you find that it's sort of just you have bursts of creativeness?
1: No, I really, I really envy these people who are just so constantly creative and can just write something down, and that's it. And that's that's very wonderful for them. Uh, No, it's it's a very painstaking process. I think I tend to have a maybe one sort of big creative burst and I get a lot of stuff just down on paper, but I mean, it's atrocious really, you know, you read it back and you think, what is this? Uh, But I'm very, uh, I'm just very interested in in sort of structure and rhyming, very kind of mathematical in a way. Uh, I, you know, I I studied Hamilton, the musical to an absolute T when it came out and the way that Lin-Manuel Miranda uses rhyming and format. So I really try to imitate a lot of his his working. Um, But yeah, it takes a long time to go back and edit and just get the words sounding.
0: Am I right in thinking you got your own poetry night that you run?
1: Yeah, I do now. Soul Food Poetry. It's, um, yeah, it's not something I ever anticipated doing, to be perfectly honest. Um, I love attending nights, but hosting is very new. But it's great, yeah. Soul Food Kitchen is a new vegan hub in Glasgow, and they wanted to start doing various events, so they asked me to, to do a monthly show. And it's cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very inspiring listening to new artists.
0: I take it i mean glasgow's a big place. the what's the poetry scene like in glasgow
1: it's great it's really great uh there's there's all sorts and all kind of levels of nice as well from really kind of little grassroots everyone in kind of thing to much more curated um events with with acts coming from sort of far and wide to perform um they're, they're, yeah there's something for everyone it's a really cool city
0: now we're talking to cities we're in london and uh i've, I've never been this far past King's Cross but I walked past the canal and there's all these little boats on there and as I was walking I thought of oh, your poem hipster yeah <laughs> um are, are there Scottish hipsters are they the same as are they the same as London hipsters and could you just for anyone that hasn't read really, it just talk me through that poem because I thought it was a brilliant poem
1: yeah <laughs> oh, those there are many Scottish hipsters uh yeah so I'm trying to think where does hipster come in the show um so uh yeah it the poem "Hipster" follows a poem called "Different," which is kind of about when I was, um, when I was abroad and I was busking a lot. I was playing a lot of street music and and either on the street or in gigs. You know, I really had to make myself stand out in order to to get the the money to keep traveling to be you know booked booked further. Um, so it was really about just picking up on everything that stood out about yourself and really really stressing it's so the fact that you were Scottish rather than British um, that you were you know, vegan rather than vegetarian, that I was female, that I had a y- ukulele, you know, literally anything that you had going for you, you wrote it on a side and you put it in your guitar case so that you could uh, uh, get money, quite frankly. And then the poem kind of goes on to, uh, to look at how we, you know, we celebrate some forms of different, but not other forms of different, and what is okay to be different, what is not okay. And then I think it sort of wraps up by being by saying, you know, yeah, sure, it's a little bit problematic, but it's okay when I go home, there'll be no more need to be different. But this is not the case, because instead this hipster culture is rife in in Glasgow and many other cities. Um, and it's, yeah, it's quite a humorous poem, just listening listening this sort of stereotypical hipster um, and how it really contributes to this, uh, this culture of... Uh, Image and appearance and sort of superficiality. I thought it was brilliant, it was
0: brilliant. (laughs) I I very enjoyed that very much. The question that that I ask everyone that comes on here is and it's a massive question, so I apologize again but why poetry? Why do do you think people turn or we uh, turn to poetry in times of need, you know, funerals, Mm -hmm. big occasions like that, weddings, sometimes of poems, but in general, I spoke about it on a, one of the last shows that, you know, there's been a big uh, increase in sales of poetry, especially to uh, under 34s. So the youth are reading, are reading poetry. So why is it? Why poetry?
1: I mean, it's, 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 just, it's just a unique and beautiful form of writing, I guess. You don't have to be so literal in poetry, which I think is really lovely because you as the poet can write... Uh, something that is really honest for yourself but because you don't have to write it so sort of to the point and and specifically and literally when people listen to it they can interpret it and maybe apply it to their own um lives and their own situations and so it can rather than you know stumbling across a book that really speaks to you i think it is easier for a poem to to speak universally perhaps um and i just personally i just find it a very malleable kind of art form i feel you can weave it into theater into uh music and just craft really new and exciting art forms yeah. um it, there's just there's so much flexibility to it
0: so another question i I'm gonna wrap up with I like to ask local poets to you or poets that you have your nights that perhaps we wouldn't have heard of any sort of glaswegian poem uh, poets we should be reading listening to
1: oh oh there are so many um and I'm, I'm trying to there are a few people who are really um well known so I'm trying to
0: this is the question where I always get told off, because, oh, you put me on the spot here. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I do. And, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, people who sort of immediately spring to mind. Um, I'm a huge fan of, there's a collective called Loud Poets, or I Am I am Loud, they're called. Uh, and I find that the poets that kind of spearhead that group, um, so people like Kevin MacLean, Mark Galley, uh, I hope they're appreciating the shout-outs, Katie Ailes, Doug Gary, their work is absolutely beautiful, um, they're really at the top of their game and i suppose on the other kind of end of the spectrum perhaps the people who yeah who come to my night tend to be much more um sort of emerging voices less well known there's actually she doesn't quite constitute as that's region because she's american but there's a woman who's been performing at my nights called tonya renell and i just finished her debut book today and it's absolutely stunning this exquisite corpse it is called um just she's yeah she's she's documented a grief in a way that is absolutely stunning. And I think that's a really good example, actually, her work of, you know, she's describing the death of her friends, yeah. who are people that, you know, I do not know. I don't even know her that well, but the poem, the poems that she's included, they just speak so personally to me because I can apply them to, you know, my own experiences. And I yeah. feel that she's, yeah, created something really beautiful, yeah.
0: Uh, right, and finally, where, where can people find you in your work?
1: Well, I mean, despite the, my show slating all social media platforms. I am on every social media platform uh, under Imogen Sterling Poetry. Uh, I'm doing some shows sort of sporadically throughout the fringe, some with uh, loud poets, um, and then I am starting a new project, a new a new full show called Love the Sinner, which is in its emerging stages just now, and is documented on all social media platforms.
0: What well, can I ask? What that's going to be about?
1: It's um, it's taking the stories of the seven deadly sins and setting them in contemporary Glasgow uh, as a way to sort of explore human sinning, I suppose. Um, What that means, the way that we are very interested in labelling, I suppose, either for good or for bad, Um, creating binaries, just really black and white distinctions between uh, people and, and things. Uh, and so, yeah, it's exploring that through these these seven imagined characters. That sounds cool. Thank you, yeah, um, I'm hoping so. It's a really big music project, uh, so I think that'll be quite interesting. I haven't seen something like it to date, so unless somebody sneaks in first, I think it'll be quite quite unique.
0: And is, that, is that a while off then? You said it's in the emergence.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I performed a little excerpt of it with Dundee Rep Theatre as part of a sort of festival of new work back in April, but I'm kind of just taking a step back to really work on it properly and flesh it out before um, reintroducing it, but hopefully towards the end of the year I think it will come
0: out Well, it all sounds very exciting uh, Congratulations on the See. I really enjoyed it, and thank you for chatting to me oh,
1: My pleasure, thank you
0: This episode's poetry recital again comes from our featured poet Imogen Sterling, she very kindly allowed us to use one of her new poems she posted up online fairly recently this piece is called Swim
1: I couldn't swim he tells me. I couldn't swim and there was a hole in the dinghy so we all tried to plug it to keep ourselves afloat but if we all stood together the boat would capsize and that wouldn't be good because I couldn't swim, he tells me. Tongue all fuzz and weighted, I can't choke up a shameful syllable. He sees me tight-throat and nervous, so compensates by oversharing. He says, man, it was so dark. I didn't know what was sky and what was water. Who knew the Aegean spanned that much farther? I paid a stranger unthinkable money to barter my life for the pats-up boat, and Hackjaw promise to take me someplace safer than home was. <laughs> His story was fit for Hollywood glory but no Oscar culmination. Our hero finds himself in Cumbernauld, washing cars by hand for £4 an hour in Glasgow December. With 12-hour days, there's never quite time for his skin to recover from the iced, soapy water, evoking memory of frosted ocean, mockery made of all he has given, chapped and red, rigid, raw. I would hug sunshine into his veins if I could muster strength to reach beyond these strings of puppet privilege, instead I watch helpless. As he tucks his hands under his arms and rocks himself, lullaby, we sit a moment in silence. For want of anything else to say, he heaps another sugar into the third tea he has brought me in ten minutes, there is so much sweetness in this room, I am as acrid as a lemon. He tells me he's stayed in shelters like this for the past eight years. I clock that's two years longer in the city than me, makes him two years more Glaswegian than me. Who changes flats like underwear, living out the luxury of itchy-footed wanderlust. I just can't get enough of freedom. Meanwhile the egos in this building jostle for space, flung together over cards and cartoons and paper plates, playground rivalries acted out by overgrown lost boys struggling to hold dignity in a city that would rather bandy terms of illegality than greeting. Their knee-jerk tension is palpable, they are walking on eggshells disguised as impossible documents, breathing in roomfuls of trauma to start each day with a fresh dose of collective nightmare tragedy. This is no set up for healing. When I make to leave, he stops me to offer the last cigarette in his pack. There, Iraqi, he says, you'll never taste better. And if you move quick, you could still catch the Kurdish falafel round the corner. I swear to you, we have a lot to offer
0: beautiful stuff a massive thank you to Imogen for taking the time out to come speak to me in King's Cross as mentioned her second run of hypocrisy books are available to buy online and I suggest you do lots of food for thought especially around this idea of western privilege I can't wait to catch her next time she performs in London if you've enjoyed the episode tell someone we're on Facebook and Instagram as People's Poetry Podcast we're over on Twitter at people underscore poetry i'm on twitter at jbo poems and we'd absolutely love it if you could give us a follow on spotify apple itunes acast or soundcloud wherever it is you are listening to us from a massive thank you for taking the time out to listen but an even bigger thank you for once again choosing poetry until next time poetry people